Resurface is a podcast presented to you by me, your host, Emily Utrup. In each episode, I'll talk to athletes and industry leaders who have faced adversity. And through shared vulnerability, I'll explore the mental and emotional challenges they have faced and discover the strategies they have used to not only bounce back, but to come back stronger than ever. I want to motivate and inspire you to show your vulnerability, acknowledge your fears, and to follow your dreams. Hey everyone, and welcome back after a little summer holiday. Today I am back with a very exciting episode where I am interviewing Beric. I was working during the European Championship in surfing last week where I met Beric, or first I actually saw him on an interview, which caught my attention, and here is why. Uh, yeah, I actually ate a raw piece of steak before the heat, and then I had a nap, and uh, I haven't really been doing airs, but I've kind of been a bit chunky recently, and um Started, you know, I felt like we spoke about it. I felt like I got maybe a point, maybe half a point underscored in my last heat. So I said, okay, I'm not leaving it up to the judges. I'm not going to outsource my problems. So I'm going to go, just come on, Beric, step it up, harden up, and, uh, and, and uh, do your best, you know. Uh, my family's been through a bit of stuff recently, and I had to have their back. They've always had my back, and it was time that I started having my own back again. Luck. And after hearing that interview, I thought, okay, there must be a very interesting story behind all of this. So I asked Beric to come here and have a chat with me. And sure, there is a very interesting story. So I really, really hope you enjoy this week's episode. Beric de Vries, is that right? Beric de Vries. De Vries. Beric de Vries, wow. yeah. I've been, I've been trying to say that all week. Oh, it's okay. Anything with a B, I'll start. Except for like, Beric's good, yeah. Very Thank good. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just get you very well. Welcome to Resurface. Thank really, you. I'm really excited to hear your story and just a little background for people who don't know it. We met last week doing the Eurosurf. Yes, ma'am. And yeah, you're probably the most interesting guy on the interviews. <laughs> there was some deep shit and there was some funny stuff. <laughs> and it caught my attention. I was like, I think this guy have a good story. So I want to dig into it. And that's what we're going to do today. I hope you brought an earth-moving machine because if you dig into this, you're going to probably find a new foundation for a new building. Um, there's a lot of digging to do. So All let's right. start. Let's start. First, we met at the Eurosurf um, last week because you're a professional surfer. You did a really good performance. You got fourth in the championship and you're winning a lot of heats and quite impressive surfing. But I think one of the things I was also impressed with was uh, how you were with the other athletes. And uh, I think you really showed like really good sportsmanship. And, and I think that was really nice. And Thank you. Saying that, I would love to just like dig into your story. How did your story start? How did your passion for surfing come? And where does that come from? And has it always been there? Um, I think there's the... There's the ocean love, which started at a holiday home that was quite a humble home. It wasn't like this spare holiday mansion or something, but it was um, placed on the south coast of Durban called Big Fisherman. And uh, uh, it was just a body border, you know, a little belly, belly border, a little bit dragger. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, my dad's passion. He used to bodyboard, you know, like, not like one hand on the top and one hand on the side, you know, both hands on the, on the front, you know, we just used to look forwards and ride straight and have a good old time. Um, and then also with fishing and stuff, so there's the ocean side that came from that. And then I was just, I lived about an hour inland at Hillcrest in Durban. And then I was a skateboarder. So then it was the love for the ocean and skateboarding. And then our parents split up 
one of their famous split-ups, you know? Because they got divorced once and remarried. Yeah. They've been divorced twice from each other. <laughs> Never give up, they say. No. Um, yeah, and then uh, so the skateboarding turned into surfing when I went down to a new school on the coast in Umschlanger Rocks in Durban. And uh, one of the, the coolest kids there, you know, Dev Lane, mm-hmm. my friend. He was a cool guy, you know, and uh, all the boys were, were surfers and there was a surfing club and we went to try buy a bodyboard at the surf shop. And firstly, this guy's skinhead, hit on my mom. He's like 150 years old. I said, my dad will kill you, sir. And we, he didn't let us walk out of the bodyboard. He said, I insist, you've moved here. I only sold this to tourists, bodyboards to tourists. And we left the surfboard. He said, drop your son off at the beach and all the, the, the crew will look after him. So it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a beach to raise a grum. And that's how my love for the ocean plus my love of skateboarding turned into surfing. So then you you were there and you started competing. And when did you know that you wanted to turn it into a career? When I wanted to beat Devon and get the chicks at school. <laughs> it was a good pick-up line? Not really, yeah. yeah. Well, you had to draw a high line and draw some lines on a wave and then you could get the chicks and that would be the pick-up line, I guess. No, but Devon pushed me a lot. He's still the, the heaviest competitor that I've ever met. Like Mikey February and I couldn't beat him. Mm. This guy was a dog. He'd paddle you into the pier. Um, and he taught me how to be how to be tough, how to, to have a strong mind. And to, to this day, he's, he's one of the most successful businessmen in South Africa for his age. He didn't go the surfing route. He knew that his, his brain was the best part, I think, of his contest results. And when we were in grade six, he, he said, we, we all lined up. At school, we had to say what we wanted to be. And he said, I want to be a businessman. I went behind him and he was way better than me at surfing at the time. And he goes, and I was like, shit, I want to be a surfer. <laughs> and everyone laughed at me, you know, because Devin was sponsored by Quicksilver already and stuff. So Devin was the reason that I wanted to push myself. And then he got my trajectory and just trying to get way better, way faster. And then all of a sudden, sorry, Dev, I got better than him. And it went on to then, it went on, I got third in South Africa and like after a year of surfing or something. And then from there, just the trajectory kept going up. And then I had my next um, giant to slay in my life, you know, and then who's the next giant, who's the next giant. And that was just, and that's when, you, when I thought that surfing competitions, you know, we're playing with these little pieces of foam in the ocean and we, we get all sad, we cry, we're all happy. We think the whole world revolves around these little planks, but little did I know life was about to hit way harder. And um, I had to take the lessons from the ocean onto the land and then started becoming a good recyclable energy from lessons I learned in the land. Okay. And so lessons I was learning in the ocean, ocean to the land. I don't even know what the question was, but there's an answer for you. <laughs> and what was those lessons? Lessons is that you aren't that cool. <laughs> you aren't that important. Okay. Most of your suffering happens between your heads. And if you think that other people around you aren't going through that, that suffering too, then that's one of the most selfish things you can do. So before you expect someone to walk in your shoes, take your own shoes off before you try walking theirs, you know, because you can't wear yours and theirs at the same time. And yeah, just do not take yourself so seriously. And just like surfing, you know, like when you jump off the rocks, you can't, you, I'm the man, you know, I don't know, you can't think like I'm the man and stuff when you're on the rocks. No one's going to just run out over rocks. You have to really choose a methodical entry into the ocean. But after that, in South Africa, there's usually a sandbank in the ocean. That's where you can convince yourself that you're the man and stuff. But in life, there's always going to be those rocks. There's always going to be the times that you can't, overcome a situation with just brute force there has to be a methodical approach to it and there's also the times where if you're getting caught by a 10-foot wave and it's just on sand mm-hmm. then usually it's just a foam ball like a, a bubble bath and a roller coaster mixed but in your head 
You can, when you're young, you think you're getting attacked by a crocodile, shark, and a pedophile at the same time or something. I don't know. So, um, do you understand what I mean? Like in life, there's always the stuff that you can't overcome, which is brute force and um, and masculinity. Mm-hmm. But then some of the time, I think it's very necessary to have that. And the ocean taught me a lot about that before awesome. I needed to understand it about being humble as well and kind of. That rock part's the humble part. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you submit to the rocks, you know? Yeah. And being like, yeah, because I guess being so fun when you start to compete, young, you can suddenly be like a little bit on a pedestal. And, yes, ma'am. Yeah, right? And, yeah. and you, uh, okay, so you learned that. And also because of your friendships and your the people you grew up with, I guess. Yeah, we've got a very wild crew. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting personalities in one beach, yeah. And, and I'm lucky to have them. And how was that, like, growing up in that, in South Africa, first of all, but then also in, like, I guess, in a competitive environment? Because with all elite sport, it's a competitive environment, right? Yeah, well, I think competition, I think, for kids is the best. I think participation awards are the worst thing that you can ever do to somebody. (laughs) And I think that's why the Western world's kind of starting to dissolve a little bit, because I think that merit-based rewards aren't being valued enough because and so people think that it's okay to not try hard and everyone's like oh shame you know Mm -hmm. this and that but i think the biggest competition in south africa right now is the the fight between good and evil and between people not understanding that there's yeah there's a bigger competition than just surfing Mm -hmm. um one thing you don't maybe know about me is my second name is tulani which means quiet one. They kind of fucked up there. Means the quiet one? Yeah. I mean, they gave it to me before I was born, so they couldn't have known I was going to talk this much. But uh, yeah, it's a Zulu name, and obviously the Dutch had their history with South Africa, you know? Yeah. But my father um, really strove to to break that chain in the past and the future. And I was always hopeful of this new rainbow nation. The idea that we could be about it, not just speak about it and, you know... Um, because I don't do anything to anyone, <laughs> but there were some ancestors, I guess, and I don't even know if mine did. But um, yeah, there was there's, there's a lot of shit from the past, mm-hmm. and the biggest competition now is between people realizing that they ain't no black, ain't no white, ain't no boy, girl, whatever. There's just good people and bad people, mm-hmm. but we are people, and I don't think people are 100 percent good or 100 percent bad. I find the biggest competition in life is making the times since you were last a bad person. And the times that you are a bad person, mm-hmm. making them smaller and further apart, and then we're getting better, and then make sure that you're more of a good person than a bad person. And that's my biggest competition in life, mm-hmm. is, is that. So that's the competitive environment that I that fuck grow- with. Sorry for my swearing. So you, your competitive environment is more with yourself? Yes, ma'am. That's Thank you for summarizing. No. <laughs> that's my job. You go, girl. I believe in you. Um, Cool. So that's like your your background. And then I know, when did you start then deciding that you wanted to compete for the Netherlands and not South Africa? I guess you could you had the opportunity to do both. Woo! I've got to be careful about this answer. Just be- I was told a long time ago by one of the better surfers from South Africa that I should go and start representing the Netherlands. I've always had a Dutch passport. Mm-hmm. And my dad and my, my grandparents, my grandfather just died a few years ago. Um, may he rest in peace. Uh, my grandmother is still living in Hoek van Holland, just near um, Schreveninger. Mm-hmm. Yes, I said it right. And um, so my dad's very proud Dutch man. He's remarried now to a Dutch woman, the Dutch, and they just speak Dutch to me the whole time. And I'm like, listen, I'm not really sure what you said to me, but yes. yes. But um, I'm learning Dutch and stuff. But yeah, 
as I said, there's been such a past with Dutch and English and the local Zulus and the Corsa and stuff that I wanted to be about it. And I wanted to see if I could. I thought that I, I was a believer that they were like, oh, it's because of the past. It's because of the past, you know. But then I realized, holy shit, it's just there's bad people and there's good people. And I'm not saying the white people are good people, mm-hmm. but I, when I started seeing that the people of African descent were messing over the people of African descent, that I had no game. I was not the captain of the ship, and I want my kids. I want to have kids. I'm 30 years old now, and in three years, I want to start being able to plan for that. I got in contact with the Hasa, and I, I went over to um, yeah to the Netherlands, and I met these people, and I saw the surfing nation that was had really bad waves but what they had was just this fire this burning desire and so much stoke and passion and stuff and i was like and it was almost unadulterated it was pure hadn't been corrupted by the by the different types of mindsets of surfing and also hadn't been corrupted by a history as a country in a way Mm -hmm. i'm probably speaking out of turn here but from what i felt it was just a very pure surfing love and i was like wow this is really cool Mm-hmm. And it was just uncorrupted. And I was like, I want to be part of this uncorruptedness. Yeah. And I asked if they would take me and have me. And I started meeting with a few of the people and stuff. And they were very excited about it. And I just, I knew that I wanted to do more for the Netherlands than I could take mm-hmm. than, or than I wanted from them. So then I offered, the first thing I did was I offered to be, to coach or to assistant coach the junior team when they were at ISA at World. So I wanted to, the first thing I wanted to do was something for them before. I was like, oh, can I have some money? You know, like that. Yeah. Um, so I went there and uh, Micah, he's the manager of the Netherlands. I don't know what God did, but God made Micah and I write for each other. Not in any like, you know, people touching ways. But he's a good family man and I remind him of himself back in the day. And he's a very good businessman and he became manager, I became coach. And together we are are really doing something cool with, with the, the Dutch team, I feel. Mm-hmm. And when I saw his passion and his appreciation and his, and he didn't, he wasn't challenged by me coming in with like whatever the surfing that I'm, I'm the POV guy, you know, and he's the beach angle guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and he wasn't challenged by me and he gave me respect for what I was good at and better than him at. And it was so easy. He took his shoes off before he wanted, you know, he tried to walk in mine. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I did. The, it was so easy for me to do the same thing. And now, yeah, it was just, it was a very welcoming vibe and the people on the team welcomed me. And it was very clear that this was the place that I was meant to be. And this is the next chapter of my life that I can give something and naturally receive something. That's, it's a a really cool relationship and business partnership. Mm -hmm. And it's just really nice. The kids from the Netherlands are really cool and I'm doing private surf camps with them. And um, I'm very, very happy that I found my new home. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. But I think I really relate to what you're saying with like the surf world in and out because I'm from Denmark and it's, you know, you go up to Kidmuller and cold Hawaii and it's the same, you know, it's this, it's all about the stoke and just being in the water. It doesn't matter if you're paddleboarding or kite surfing or windsurfing yes. or whatever you do, like, and people are just watermen and women, you know, they don't just surf, they do everything in the ocean, like whatever they can do. And it's, it's a very special place to be. It's so nice, eh? Yeah. It's yeah, it's pure. It's nice. It's rad. Yeah, it is different. And don't you think it's the funniest thing with 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 the uh, the waves aren't the best, but the gratitude's the most. Yeah, exactly. isn't that kind of like the Western world? And like when you go to, a, not a when you go to an old older tribe in in Africa, 
and you see people hunters and gather, living the hunter and gather lifestyle. And what we would see is, oh, shame, they don't have much. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's, oh, shame, we have too much. Exactly. And it's the same thing with surfing. That's kind of what I saw when I came to the Netherlands. Yeah. But I also know that, you know, like being a professional surfer is not easy these days because you have to be more than just a surfer. You have to be a content creator. You know, there's like so much that uh, follows with it. But how do you constantly deal with that pressure and, you know, always finding the sponsors, finding the money to do the contest, and then at the same time keep focus on your surfing? Um... Foamies, foam waves make you money. Good waves cost you money. That's the basic. That's what I've realized about surfing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there's a lot of lot more people that want to learn how to surf, mm-hmm. and the beginner to intermediate is the place that I've found that I can help and I can share because I've got a very fine line of what I've studied in life. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't ask me a maths question, please, because we'll yeah. come later, guys. <laughs> yeah but um so it's in south africa there's the, the the problem is that i think there's been 140 152 days of no electricity just this year because mm-hmm. of the load shredding load shedding yeah. yeah i mean load shredding i guess you can call it that yeah. people go surf when they're doing their work electricity goes off good call good joke <laughs> we can co- copyright that one load shred um, but yeah, the, so our country's looking for electricity. We're back to the fucking dark ages. It's like, so now, now I'm like, Hey, I'm a surfer. <laughs> and they're like, shut up. <laughs> like, Hey, could I please have it? No, like, don't you, I can make your business, dude. Our business needs a generator, dude. Do you have a generator? No, <laughs> get out of here, guys. So in South Africa, that's a hustle. That's just pure insanity. It's insanity. And even for the Europeans in the Western world, that's, it's, it's insanity. Mm-hmm. But you can, there's a big, in Europe, there's a big craze. I think COVID actually helped with surfing because all the team sports weren't allowed. So kids, they, parents needed their kids to burn energy somehow, mm-hmm. take them out for like little energy freeing sessions like they do with their dogs. And uh, surfing was one of the only activities. So we noticed a massive spike in surfing and people wanting to surf. And uh, yeah, so I've started a barbaric surf club where I do barbaric surf camps. And I do private surf camps. And what it does is obviously I get to make some money where I get to go learn. I've spent 750 million, no, 750,000 euros already on this QS and on surfing. Yeah. I don't know any education that costs that much. No. You know, how, do you know? Well, how much does it cost to become a lawyer? Not sure. It depends on what country you do it in, I guess. What's but I mean, you know, like yeah. two hundred thousand max for any degree. Oh yeah, you could have been a lawyer right now. Nah, <laughs> for a car salesman like Daihatsu <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, so I've been making my money now with with helping kids and sh- I'm not a coach, mm. I'm a menace, but I I share different experiences and times that I've been in the situation that I identify with each kid that they're in, whether it's too scared to jump off the rocks, I'll share a time when about fight, flight, or freeze. And that fight, cool, you jump off. Flight, cool, you live to choose another time. But freeze, you get washed over the rocks backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I customize it for every different kid. And I get to share, and what that does is it helps me with my money. I'm also working. I know that these kids come. I help them 
I get paid, I buy, I can give that to Emirates. It's not like yeah. I go to this contest and I hope the one foot wave breaks my way and not old mate in yellow's way. And, yeah. you know, it's just, that's insanity. You'd rather go to the casino and put it on black or red. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm doing Barbaric Surf Club and Barbaric Surf Camps. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have Dutch Natural Healing as a sponsor to CBD company, mm-hmm. um, a very passionate oceanman named Lars. And Lars is a, he wants to, to give back to, uh, to ocean lovers. And I am an ocean lover. He heard about me, he heard about my personality. And without him, I wouldn't have had this time to get back to the level in which you had seen at this contest. And that gave me time to find myself, get my family good. And now I feel there's this new little 30 to 40 chapter that's happening. Mm-hmm. So there's some sponsors, some self-initiative. Um, I've realized that FOMIs make you more money than good waves. Yeah, that's just true. <laughs> and so just like coming back now, you all just started talking about your family. I know you were out from competition for a while. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Um, because you're going through some, some stuff and you... Here we go. Uh, here we go. Now it's getting deep. Let's go, girl. What's, what's up, guys? <laughs> um, Get your tissues. And I know that you, you know, had some family trouble, I think. And so you've been out for a few years from competitive surfing and now it feels like you found yourself and getting really good uh, results again. Is that something you want to share, like open up about? Yeah, I'm good. I've been waiting to, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a good time to do it. There's one aspect that I'll, I'll, I'll hold back on because it's not my, my, my story to tell. Mm-hmm. But, um, as I was coming up, I told you about, I was sponsored Quicksilver. I was on TV, I was in the newspapers and everything at like 18 years old. And, you know, as a young man, you should be getting to that point and you, you should have to go out to get your, respect from your peers, attention from women, ways to make money. You should have to exert some energy to get that energy back. Mm-hmm. But I was just standing on my surfboard, doing designs on my surfboard and and winning contests, and then it was all coming to me. So it was almost a, a, a hack for life. It was an unnatural way of, of, of being a young man. Then, sure, should I bring God into this? We'll hold off on that one. But now nah, we're going to bring him in. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I grew up Christian. Go to Sunday school, color in pictures of Jesus on the cross and stuff. You know, it's just weird. Like, what, are, what are we up to here? And I got to 17 and I was like, oh, listen, I've hide and seek. That's a game that kids play. I was like, stop playing hide and seek with me. I've been speaking to you for ages. Like, come here, reply here, bro. Yeah. Sorry, I know it's bad to speak like that. Whatever, it's a higher power. And then I was also like, broken down telephone is also a massive thing that we learned in school when we were really young. So I was like, stop playing broken on telephone. I don't want to hear from this old weird dude that's got this button-up shirt and this tie that doesn't match his pants. No. I said, I'm going to be atheist for this year. And let me just, and just give me a sign. Undeniable. And then I got you back. Like, I'm, then I'm with you, you know? Yeah. Not like he needed me. But then, what, nine months later, um, my, I'm half Irish too. My mom's got an Irish passport. And on St. Patrick's Day, my mom, um, we, my, there was some foul play with the parents. I'm not going to get too much into the reasons why they split up, but my mom felt was feeling worthless. She was feeling degraded and she was feeling like things, she, life wasn't worth living. So my dad was here. He had his new place, you know, and uh, we weren't really, wasn't really that, that father and son go fishing every weekend type vibe, you know, <laughs> it was a bit rough. And then uh, my mom I made, said, listen, it's been a rough few, few weeks and months. Uh, she made sure that my sister goes and stays out at a, a different town called Westville. I went out into Durban. I was also going to stay at a friend's house. And it was St. Patrick's Day because it's usually a celebratory day for my mom's side, the Robert's side of the family. All of a sudden, I get a phone call and it's like, Beric, come outside. 
and it was Devin, my friend I mentioned earlier, Kyle, his older brother, Gavin, the dad, and the mom all in one car. I've never seen them in one vehicle. And they're outside, and I'm like, oh, she's dead. So I go out, and I've had, I've had a couple of, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've had a couple of green mixed drinks and stuff. You know, I go outside, and I'm like, is she dead? Is she dead? And I said, no, whatever. And I said, she's, she's okay, but, you know, no one really knows how to handle the situation. Turns out my sister had been approached by, by a female's daughter that was in the male side of my parents' life. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said something to my sister about, sorry about your parents' situation and that's your dad's girlfriend's daughter. And uh, sorry, but my sister, and my sister was like 16. Yeah, she shouldn't have been out, everyone, just back in your box. But so my sister's like crying. She borrows 10 rand. There's no Uber back then. She borrows like 10 rand from everyone, like 70 different people at this party. She gets a taxi home, gets a taxi home. And in South Africa, you got a big gate and a property wall and then a house in the middle. So it's like get the barbed wire and stuff, you know, you know, and those little sneaky buggers to get in. And um, my sister's ringing the doorbell and the gate opens. And everyone that's in Mklanga or in Durban or any South African surfer knows that when you at my house, because we always used to host everyone, at my house, if you open the gate, you open the door. It's one thing. I open, cool, gate, wait. Person walks down the driveway, open the fucking door and let them in. And uh, my sister's at the door and she's like, what? She looks in the corner and she sees the car parked and hears music coming from the car. She's like, what's going on here? And... She sees a hose pipe going from the exhaust into the car and my mom's gassing herself and she's temporarily paralyzed. I don't know if you know anything about, uh, you know, you get temporarily paralyzed so you can't chicken out, you can't pull out, you know, you don't yeah. get that last minute thing. So, yeah, she's doing that. My sister runs over. So we've had a few friends that have that's happened to on the South Coast and stuff. So we've been in conversation about it over the years of what it kind of looks like when it's happening. So my sister pulls her out. My mom's kind of, uh, I don't know. Temporarily paralyzed yeah. person sounds like, yeah. but I'm sure it's like. <laughs> Sorry, but if anything's funny, everything's funny. Um, yeah. So then my mom kind of starts coming to. Ambulance somehow gets in like two minutes. And they say your mom was like a minute away from dying, and to this day, no one knows you opened the gate. My sister never remote. My mom was paralyzed. Like, was she was, and she's having a nap here. Yeah? yeah, but not the long one. Luckily, yeah, she, she was wasn't. not able to open the gate. Yeah, so no one opened the gate. Someone opened the gate. From that day, I was like, ah, okay. Hard and seek over. There you are. So that changed it there. And I mean, that's that's one of those things. And then that wasn't it. That was, it came to the point where I, my sister and I had to be the ones to remind my mom and maybe not even remind her because it had been a 26-year marriage. I don't think she felt very empowered in the marriage. I'm not saying it was anyone's fault. I, I, that's adult stuff and that was none of my business. And I think that parents are just grown up children. So no one's really got the memo to anything, right? And then, you, you, yeah, you've got that adolescent approach to trying to understand this all, you know? Yeah. But all you know is this woman that I love is sad. Fuck who made her sad, which was dad. Yeah. But as I've gotten older now, obviously I'm understanding more. So but back then you just understood that what happened was his fault. You only have, yeah, you have a rigid yeah. approach to this. It's not very flexible at all. And mm-hmm. I was like, she's sad. You dick, <laughs> mom, be happy. Like you yeah. know, it's a very immature and unwise approach to things. But the goal was to make sure mom felt powerful, and we even like got like a whiteboard kind of thing. I was like, "You feel shit, yes." Number two, 
You remember that you're a bad bitch. You're you're a boss lady, mom. Number three, you get a job and you start working, you earn more money than dad. Number four, blah, 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 blah. now she's on level one or number 167. She's doing amazing. She's the strongest I've ever known her to be now. Sister went through a whole bunch of stuff halfway through that and started like kind of pointing fingers at mom. And I was like, whoa, hold on. We just built up moms here, right? Like, do not, you are not going to be the, like, you know, you're always looking outside for the threat detection. But either way, I was like, okay, it's kind of like a parachute with the strings in my family. I felt for a while that I was the one holding the ring down the bottom that made all the lines come together. Mm -hmm. But I had to make sure the lines didn't tangle. So I had to, it's, and that's pure insanity. So I'm like, you don't speak to me. Hey, no, but your father, no, don't you, you don't speak to me about him. You don't speak to me about her. And you don't speak to me about mom. We all going to have individual relationships here. Individual lines. Yes, ma'am. And then this way the parachute can fly and we can just try and find a nice little plateau to fucking rest our feet, yeah? And how old were you when this happened? That was 18. 18. 18, yeah. She 18 a- when you kind of took that on you to be, you felt like you were the, like, not the head of the family, but the one like kind of keeping everything together. Kind of. My sister was because I'd go away and they would keep shit from me so that I could have the surfing career. So then I'd come back and then they'd be like, I'm like why didn't you tell me to, this is edible? No, because we wanted you to have the, the best chance at this contest. So there, there's so many times where my dad, my mom, my sister have been selfless for me. Mm-hmm. And then I got a bit older and I was like, and my sister, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I was this is like all of a sudden a superhero. I was a little prick, mm-hmm. you know, but I started realizing, hey, I've got to start exerting some energy for my loved ones here for this life that I want, that this life that I realized I don't want. Mm-hmm. Like, there's what you want, what you don't want. I was like, okay, I want her to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll be cool. I want my sister to not feel the pressure of this whole life on her back. I want my dad to piss off right now. <laughs> and then you get older and you're like, oh, flip, I understand where he was coming from. And then, my, you know, everything evolves and, and life happens like a river. And you never know when that bend's coming, when that level four rapid's coming. And you're like, oh, I need to put some duct tape on my boat. You know, mm-hmm. and like, there's... We gotta fix these holes, but and you you think it's always gonna be grade ones and twos, and then as you drop your hands, life throws another punch. You're like, whoa, that's that's okay. Yeah. And um, so surfing contest became my holiday. To get and away from it. Yeah, well, not yeah, it was just a break. Yeah, I didn't want to get away from them. I wanted to be with them, but when I go away, they were almost trying to keep the pain from me, and I was trying to be involved as much as possible. So surfing contests. Yeah, people would always see me and they'd be like, oh, this guy's wild. And I'm like, bro, yeah. I'm, I'm on vacation right now, brother. Like, yeah. you know, but then also that's that's a bad way because there were some people that were investing money in me and then, and I had to, I knew how to talk the talk, you know? So I'd pretend like, oh, yeah, man, I'm, oh, next one I'm winning, next one I'm winning. Like, because as you, I think you said, it took you six years to speak about your pain. Yeah. And how do you micro speak about it oh no sorry my mom just trying to kill herself but don't worry bro i'm gonna go to gym tomorrow yeah so like, you can <laughs> no it's hard it's hard to micro evaluate and it's it. hard because some people get uncomfortable when you share something like that people sometimes they're afraid to say the wrong thing so they're and you also like oh i don't want to ruin the the fun you know because like saying something like so it can be hard you know to no, you don't want to be the wet towel yeah what's the time to tell you like oh she's trying to die <laughs> yeah no it's yeah and i understand it. it's it's yeah so it's super hard and it's like there's never a right time but i think you know what you're doing now and showing that vulnerability and opening up about it 
inspiring. And I think the more people do that, the more normalized it will be. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you on it. I do think that the vulnerability thing, I think it's so important, but it's as important to be able to go back to being in the right sense, masculine. So in the right ways, I think the pendulum has swung. Pendulum? Pendulum? Pendulum. I know what you mean. Final answer, pendulum. <laughs> the pendulum has swung a bit too far now, and everyone's trying to be find opportunities to be vulnerable so much. And you're like, hey, bro, just listen. Yeah. As we spoke about earlier, there's the rocks, and there's the sand. You're on the sand now, dude. Don't be all vulnerable now. Like, you're okay. Harden up. Put your teeth together. Pull your socks up. Harden the fuck up. Have some cement. You'll be okay, you know? Yeah. And I'm figuring it out. I'm 30 years old. When I'm 50, I'm going to be a legend. But right now, I'm just trying to figure all this stuff out out loud, you know. I've got some good people around me. And I see the strongest men show me vulnerability, but then show me how to be strong too. Of course. And I think, you know, it's, as you say, it's a fine line. But it's also a fine line between being vulnerable, sharing, and oversharing. You know, like... Yes, ma'am. And I think that's the line. that, And that's what... I had to figure out because in the beginning when I started sharing my story, I, I didn't want to overshare. That. I even had, you know, you also mentioned it earlier that some of your best friends didn't know this happened to you. And I had the same with me. They, people here that I was, you know, best friends with for like four years and they barely know that I went through this and how much that actually shaped who I was. And, but then I finally, I found a way to kind of share it and, also, I, because I was always afraid of if I shared it, that would become all about who I was, you know? Then it becomes selfish, and right? It, so you're, yeah. like, you're worried about it. like Yeah, and it become like my whole identity. And I didn't want it to become my whole identity. Yeah. Because I'm We're more, such humans. <laughs> I'm more than that, you know? But, yes, ma'am. But, but it's part of me. Yeah. And it's a big part of me. And it's a big part of... Is it becoming less of you now? Um. No, but I think I definitely when I think I also realized when I shared it, because I was always living it on the inside. And I was always, I think every day I would like kind of went over the story in my head and getting it out and sharing it did actually that I started thinking less about it. Can I ask you that? Is it, mm -hmm. is it, so do you think it used to be like the foundation of, say you're a house? Mm -hmm. Sorry, boys, analogies. <laughs> uh, you're fun, like the house. So, do you think it was so much of your foundation that it became the walls that of the rooms that you were in? It became the, the material, the furniture that we like you would have in your own head where you'd find comfort or discomfort to the point now where maybe it's just a very big picture on the wall. So you remember, but don't. Yeah, but I don't think so. It. Like before, it was like it was so much in my head because I never got it out. Also, after it happened, I it was a different time. You know, like therapy was. Oh, it's, I'm not crazy, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean. And so I said no to therapy. I said no, you know, because I was like, no, I'm not crazy. I'm fine. And so it was just all living in my head. But then when I decided to share it, with my story actually got shared the first time in a South African surf magazine. Oh well, damn! <laughs> I won an essay competition, and that's how I I shared my story for the first time. Well, look at us. Yeah. Bloody into wine over here. And, uh, and then... After we like cornrows, me and you. <laughs> and then after that, I just... Getting back to what we were talking about, this like sharing, but still being about other things as well. Yeah. And so that's... I think that's kind of a good segue into the next part. So what it sounds like is you felt that freedom of firstly opening up, 
then now what you are doing now, you've taken the big leap into going into this podcast world and to going into investing in yourself, investing in yourself, investing in others, right? Because mm-hmm. right now you're investing in me. Yeah. You're giving me a platform to open up and about my yeah. story. So then you're giving a, you are freeing me in a way. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And that was always my goal. Like after I found out how healing it was for me, I was like always, I want to find a way to help others share their stuff. And it took me a long time to figure out how I wanted to do it. But now, yeah, I think this is a good way. Me, you, tables, microphone, this bowl of grapes. What's a bowl of grapes for? <laughs> is that some, is some sort of freeing fucking thing? Like, just, what, if we have a disagreement, do you throw grapes at each other or something? Is that instead of wine? What, what is this bowl of grapes? Random ass bowl of fucking grapes. You are kidding me. If you wanted a little snack, (laughs) you can throw throw them at me later. No, that's great. Um, Okay, so I I spoke about my mom's the pain there. Mm -hmm. My sister had had a time. I think when I have a podcast, I'm going to get her on, and because she's about to have a kid. I don't need this to come out and make her stress, and you know, in the next two months. So I think I'm going to wait for her to tell her own story. But yeah, what one of the ways that I've felt the freeing of what I did was, okay, so we were in Santa Cruz, or we were, um, I phoned my dad on Easter, this Easter, 2023, and I said, Dad, listen, I know that we aren't phoning each other every weekend, we're not going fishing, you know, catching mm-hmm. like, small fish and stuff, hey, my boy, how are you? So yeah, I, I phoned my dad on Easter, and I said, Dad, I don't want this to be a deep phone call. But I want to just say I'm committed to coming home, finding a time. Let's go away to go into the wilderness together, me and you. And let's 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 start let's start reparations. Let's start preparing. Let's start creating. Let's start bonding. And let, let's let's get the shit out. Whether we hug, fight, punch, kiss, we you know we okay, cannot kiss. That's weird. But you know what I mean on the cheeks. Come on. <laughs> um, but whatever it happens, let's 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 make this let's, let's make it good. And he goes, oh, thank you, my boy. I just found out that I got a tumor on my head, and I was like, what? Happy Easter turn to shit Easter. I'm like, okay. So I go to the beach and I'm sitting there, I'm crying. And I'm like, why am I crying? Oh, whatever. I find some friends and I just, just go on the scroll on Instagram and I see one of the kids that I know. He's a man now. Jared. We call him Foreskin because his surname's Foreshank. But we'll call him Foreskin for the pod, yeah? Give you a bit of deep, but give you a bit of, bit of laugh. So me and Fori, I see him, but he's, he's been trying to sell raffle tickets on the beach. On the south coast of Germany, there's not much money. People have a very humble life, but that, there's one side of the beach that's very good, good waves, good fish, and it's worth living there. But the land is not, it's not no booming tourist attractions or anything, you know what I mean? So they live humbly, but they live in paradise. But his mom's, I see his mom's, in her words, riddled with cancer. So I phone him and I'm like, listen, I'm crying right now because I just found out about my dad. Tell me your situation because my dad is fortunate enough to be married to an unbelievably beautiful, humble um, woman that's got the means to support whatever financial difficulties could come from my dad's situation. She loves him. She cares for him on, in all aspects. She is the perfect person for my father. Mm-hmm. Maria, Jared's mom, didn't have that. So I found out that he says to me, here we go. Uh, he says to me, we've tried chemo. We've tried natural medicine. We've tried everything. Um, the chemo wasn't doing well enough to warrant how much pain and the suffering she was going through. And now we are just sitting on the balcony. Just sitting, we are sitting on the balcony. And I was like, 
how's how, how's the balcony you know like <laughs> how's the view there you know yeah. <laughs> uh and that's it's the way i do it whenever i find anything i try to get the person that's in pain to laugh it's just been my way of coping and whether it's escapism i don't mind but it, it ends up being escapism for the other person and we can escape together mm-hmm. through humor you know yeah so anyway i decide listen i'm not leaving this beach until i find a way to raise money for you and your mom i don't want i said how's your financial situation he goes it's shit right <laughs> but he says i don't want you to worry he's always been a kid that i used to argue complain that my boards are half an inch too thin and meanwhile he's been going through this whole thing without me knowing and he's the one cheering me up about my bloody surfboard that I ordered the wrong dimensions on. Little brat, who am I? You know? So I said, fuck this. I was helpless with my dad's situation because it was going to be two weeks until I could have the operation to see if we it had spread to the lymphs and everything. Mm-hmm. But I decided instead of being helpless, Barry, let's be helpful. Let me try to be helpful. I'm not going to lie to you. I've got a, I've got a big beer. <laughs> And I said, I'm not, I'm not going back to the Santa Cruz surf house until I've got away. So I called the team. I rallied the troops. I called Ethan Ewing and called Parker Coffin. I phoned everyone. And we've raised Maria enough for now. To be honest, Maria, you didn't hear this. But I just spent, she, she really needed a new bed and a new couch. And I just pretty much cleared out my account, spent buying her a new bed and a new couch. And it's, this is not a story of I'm nice. What it was was I started, I felt that helplessness and I found that being helpful made me feel less helpless and it also helped me have a wider understanding of the amount of suffering and once we understand that amount and how wide it is and how, yeah, there's just so much of it, then we it automatically takes that, oh my gosh, I'm the only one in the world suffering. But then it also brings you that joy because helping people is selfish in a way. It makes you feel good. Yeah. You know? And if you can get your petrol tank to feeling good about helping other people, I don't know if you've noticed that I don't have any shoes on ever. Well, that's because I've got this thing in my life where I go, if the shoe fits and if there's someone that I see his feet are raw and they, and if the shoe fits them, if it doesn't, it's pretty heavy. I take the shoes back. But it, I've, I've given all my bloody shoes away. <laughs> and I've probably gone a bit too far with this, but just the way that you are helping through podcasts, I have been doing things, and there's a few other things I'm not going to mention now. I'm going to save them for my podcast when I start it. But um, I admire the, what you're doing here and the way you're doing it. And this is the first time I've told these, this type of story and I've opened up about my mom's side of things. And... Um, it's the way in a similar way of the way that I've found that we can go about this world. Cause you know what? There is going to be another shit day coming up. Mm-hmm. We can guarantee it. And I find that being helpful and helping others. My worst question is why Maria went, cause now we've raised a lot of money for her and we're raising more. Kelly Slater just signed a board. Oh, we're going to auction it off. So find the link in my bio. Um, no, we're going to do that. So we're going to keep the funds going and, um, yeah, it's uh, it's really nice, but that, like of what you're doing, and it gives me a platform to keep what I'm doing and look and watch something else will happen, and we just all you know pass a bit of kindness left. Yeah, not the duchy, but pass the kindness by the left hand side. No, it's true. But so just like coming back to everything, like now. <laughs> Good luck. Come. Where are we going back to? There's a big round of us. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a big story. There's a lot of stories in that one, but. 
what happened to your mom and that and I know now you told me that you have an amazing relationship with your mom and and that you guys are close um from all this what happened what what do you think one of your biggest lessons is from that people always say that there's light at the end of the tunnel but sometimes you can't see that light and don't run in the dark because you'll probably run into a wall but just put a left right left left foot right foot left foot right foot mm-hmm. and always keep your hand out in front of you because so uh, one step at a time one step at a time and even if you can't see that light at the end of the tunnel you know where you've come from so if you even though it's dark you don't need to see where you're going to 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 feel it and there's a lot less black and white in the world and a lot more things are gray most it's gray mm-hmm. keep your hand out in front of you and keep going one step at a time because all of a sudden you're outside of the tunnel and you're like whoa and i'm happy to say that my family is my sister is doing amazingly she's married she's about to have a kid my father is remarried he's cleared of his cancer my mother is doing the best that i've ever known her and she's hiring about 100 people a week and giving back to to this world and helping other people become their dreams and that's that was 12 years ago this has happened And that's why I said in that interview that it's time for me to have my back because I've mm-hmm. had their backs and I'm starting to learn how to bob and weave with life. I expect the next punch, but I'm also starting to throw back. So now you're also like, you feel like it's time for you to also focus on you and what you want to do, and, and which is also very important because I feel like sometimes we can really give back before we start also focusing on ourselves. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, make sure you can't, can't fill up someone else's cup if yours is empty, right? Exactly. And you can't fill up someone else's cup unless they fix the hole at the bottom of their cup. You're really good with the metaphors. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, then I also wanted to ask you, what is your advice for someone going through a hard time? I know right now you're also, you know, you're involved with the junior team and so you're also, I would say you're also a bit of a role model for younger people and I guess... For bad decision makers. <laughs> <laughs> This is like a question I always ask people on the podcast is like, what advice they would give to someone or some, uh, who maybe want to like try to pursue their dream. Okay, well, there's two questions there. You said someone going through a hard time and then yeah. someone going to pursue the dream. Someone yeah. that's going through a hard time, if it's parent-based, trust me, you don't know what they're going through. So until such time as you do, especially if you're under 18, I know that you think that you've you've done, you've, you've studied life, but you've just got the theory. You haven't done the prac. Mm-hmm. You haven't done the practical test yet. Yeah. And the practical test will come again and again. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom because you might have the knowledge, but you don't have the wisdom. Um, so be kind. As much as you want someone to understand you, try and understand them first. That's for the hard time people. And then for someone wanting to be a pro surfer, unless your parents are rich, <laughs> go to the casino. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> I should probably say something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, hey. No, think, it's hard, huh? It's hard. You got more chance taking 50,000 euros and putting it on black or red at the casino. Yeah. But if you are looking for an amazing life life course, mm-hmm. the ocean puts you in tough situations five times more regularly than life. And if you can see the similarities from the land and the lessons from the ocean, then you can grow five times faster as a person. 
So although you can financially make your money probably back faster at a casino, you'll probably minus divide your chances of learning about life by five. And if, as a surfer, and if you pursue this dream and how unfair it is, mm-hmm. and there's the moment you start, you stop outsourcing your problems and, oh, oh that's unfair. This judge, this, this, blah, blah, blah. You realize life, there's no co- comments column for life. There's no comments column for professional surfing. Grit your teeth, get a better wave, do better, be stronger. And stop complaining because everyone's got their own shit. Everybody got a story. Yes, ma'am. Everybody. And everything's relative. You don't never, you know, comparison's the, the death of joy, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I got a question for you. Okay. Would you rather be someone that's gone, they're, they're about 20, 21 years old. No, 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 20, 20 and a half years old. And they've never been through something that's tough. Their parents are still together. Maybe not the best marriage, but they're still together. Because two parent households by, you know, percentage are definitely, they, they produce the best. Mm-hmm. Most chance for a healthy marriage, most chance for their kids to have a finished school, whatever. But they haven't been through that crisis, that one phone call, that one, <clears throat> that one grunty thing, you know, the first punch of life that you are guaranteed yeah. going to have to get. Or would you rather be someone that's 20 and a half and has been through it but understands the pain of it so then they, they are grateful and they understand a little bit that there's pain so that... Mm-hmm. I, like? I understand the question, yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's hard because, of course, we had very different upbringings. Like I grew up, you grew up in South Africa, I grew up in Denmark. Denmark is really one of the best countries when it comes to social security, safety, you know, equal opportunities for everyone, you know. So I am very, you know, fortunate to have grown up there and it's my parents are still together, you know, like um and But then you get in a car accident. Yeah, but then at nineteen this this happened and that was probably the the first time that, you know, something like really like shook my world. Yep. Because I was just, you know, really focused on, you know, I finished school, I w- wanted to be a professional horse rider and then that shook it up and I think for a long time I was like I really wish that didn't happen to me and of course I still wish that didn't because people do you? no no but like of course because of the people but that didn't that that happened to them exactly but now when I look back I learned to take all the positives out of the situation you know and I I I learned a lot from the situation how I deal with it are you grateful for it in a way? sometimes yeah parts of it? We have to be right. Yeah, it's so, I, this life's so savage. Yeah, and it's I think, so savage. I know, and I think, but I also think if you if you don't learn to see it in like a positive and what you learn from it, you know, you can just get stuck and not. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, what good question? I like it. So. What would you? I'd rather be the person that goes through. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a different thing, but I don't know who said this, but when when you're going through hell. Don't stop. You know? Yeah. yeah. Some people stop. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm in hell. Yeah. So, no, but it's just like, when you're going through a bad neighborhood, drive, you know, drive through that thing. Yeah. And then afterwards, there's always a risk of you could be in in a better neighborhood now, but you still remember the the bad neighborhood, you know? And, um, sorry, this Coca Cola is not the right thing to drink on the podcast. I can see this now. The next pod, I will adjust my beverage. I'm so grateful for this pain. I mean, obviously, it's a different thing. Like, so I've been touched by, su- by suicide. Mm-hmm. I've been affected by it, but I, I'm on this, I'm not like, I don't lose my mom. She tried it once or twice afterward. 
and funny with horse riding. Oh, I should tell you this because you're a horse rider. This makes sense. My mom always wanted to ride a horse in the Highlands. Mm. She's a horse rider. She loves horses. It's her thing. She loves horses. My sister and her have a huge fight, and I'm about to go to the Coldwater Classic. And this is after she's already tried this whole gassing procedure. What an idiot. She wasn't even good at that. Um, and, uh, <laughs> sorry, mom. <laughs> you should have, you should have that. Um, and, uh, she has a fight with my sister. My sister goes, mom, you the adults, you mentioned, why am I having this conversation with you? Act like a grown up and, you know, just a natural thing that it should, what needed to be said. Sister goes to her room, slams the door. Mom goes to her room, slams the door. And I'm just sitting back out there smoking a joint. Sorry. I was like, just sitting there, just trying to put the reggae on. Like, everyone, just relax. Yeah? And it wasn't happening. So I phoned my travel agent. Luckily, I'd been successful at that time. So I had enough money. And I just said, listen, I'm going to Scotland. I told my travel agent, here's my mom's passport. Book my mom. Just use my, my credit card. Book my mom all the same stuff. Same itinerary. I phoned the horse riding place in Scotland. I was like, book to her horse ride in the highlands you know she needed to get out of this place she needed to do just a little change of scenery and uh so she i go in with the room i'm like hey mom good news you coming to scotland tomorrow too in two days and she goes oh but she, it was so crazy like you could i could see this this little girl that's in an, a lady's body she wasn't she was at her rawest she goes, oh, yippee. <laughs> like a little fucking kid. So, oh, yippee. Oh, but I can't. And I'm like, why? She goes, I just finished all the sleeping tablets. And I'm like, oh, well, we have to go to the bathroom then, yeah. <laughs> um, so I go and she's, she goes, I won't put my finger down my throat. I'm a lady. And I'm like, fuck, all of that, mom. We are... Whatever, so we, we do what's necessary. I'll save my mom. She's she's a very proud woman, so this, she doesn't remember any of this. She doesn't remember the month. There was just so much pain. Her shutter came down, and she, she she blocked that stuff out. So I've only been able to tell her about it about 10 years later. Aww. Mom, I love you. I'm proud of you. You are the hero story that I need in my life. So if you're listening to this now, which you probably are, sorry, but this has to come out so people understand why I'm such a bloody weirdo. Not because of you. because of me. Anyway, she comes. She does it. We all comes out and we go to the, she rides this horse in the highlands. She falls off the bloody horse and hurts her back. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> she was wearing a scarf and it was the first time these horses have been ridden in six months uh, since Winston ended. And the scarf fell off her back and it landed on the horse's butt. So the horse didn't know what had happened. So it thought that maybe, I don't know, if there's monkeys or whatever the horse thought. The horse freaked out. Fuck my mom off. My mom falls off the horse, hurts her bloody back. But she still rode a horse in the Highlands for about 27 seconds. <laughs> and um, that's just the way we are. My mom is down. I spend what I got to do with her. When she's down, she does. When, when I'm down, she hooks me up. Mm-hmm. And you realize that your parents, we're all just grown up children. So I'm just, with, just a bit further on, on in the race. And uh, doesn't mean that, that that big mountain isn't going to be coming. And we might catch up with each other at a certain point, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I can proudly say that my family is the best it's ever been in 12 years. I'm grateful as ever for them. I've got calluses on my heart. Um, I'm grateful to my friends, my family, my sponsors, the people that have loved me, the people that have let me love them. Mm-hmm. And I would not have been able to do it without them. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to be there for more people in the future. And I'm really excited about life. If I died tomorrow, I have no problem. I'm very, very grateful for what has happened. 
but because I'm so grateful, I think that I won't be taken too soon. And I can't wait to, to, to share this, this pure love and this grit that life has given me the opportunity to go through. Mm-hmm. Nice. And now, just like, I just have like a few questions go go. Sure. that uh, I ask everyone is, do you have a, uh, like a routine to take care of your mental health? No. No. I'm like that fat guy in the UFC that no one can understand how they keep getting knockouts and keep winning fights. And what is your morning routine? Make my bed, 10 minutes meditation. What? No, but it's just surprising. Why is your eyes? You opened so <laughs> wide there. It looked like you just... I did 10 minutes meditation and 15 minutes naked dancing. Okay. In my room, not in public. But that could be your mental health routine as well, I guess. Meditation yeah. is good. Yeah, 10 minute meditation, 15 minutes. Sometimes it's 15 minute dancing first. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we just do both of them. I have to make my bed though. What time do you wake up? It changes. Sometimes I don't go to sleep. But I like yeah, so it's seven six six days try to do the same thing then one day. Yeah, no, it's um it's it's nice to wake up with the early morning light, eh? Yeah. Waking up I'm the best in my life when I remember we spoke about the dogs barking? Yeah. That would happen. And now they are here they are. Yeah. Settle down, Rufus. So, yes. Um it is the best I'm I'm my, I'm my happiest when I wake up in the dark. I am a morning person. I think most men are because our testosterone levels are higher between, yeah, before 10 a.m. So we have that extra bit of energy, petrol. So do you serve mostly in the morning? Um, Yeah. Well, in Durban, it's always offshore in the morning and then onshore in the afternoon. Ah. So it's usually our routine. Cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, you finished the podcast? Wait, no. I'm just going to ask you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You go. You go. So, yeah. Thanks for being here. And now I'm sure that everybody want to follow you and see what you're up to because it sounds like a lot of fun mm-hmm. to follow you. <laughs> so where can people find you? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I have been encouraged by people that I love and I respect to be a bit more open about this now. And I feel like I'm in a comfortable place with it all to kind of look back a little bit, look within and then look forwards and invite people to be on that journey. Um, So yeah, at Barbaric is my my Instagram, uh, B-A-R-B-E-Y-R-I-C-K. And then Barbaric Surf Club, same spelling, just Surf Club afterwards is where you'll find the coaching stuff, the life stuff, and all of that jazz. And then um, in the near future, there's my partner, Micah, who's the manager of the Netherlands. We are starting a company called No Borders. And um, there'll be a big drop coming soon. So stay tuned, look after that. And I think it'll be fun. Exciting. Well, I'll put all the links in the bio. So you can go click on it. Yeah, girl. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, thank Hit you. the link, yeah. <laughs> like and subscribe below. <laughs> and that's very good. Hey, everybody. <laughs> What? That was good. Yeah. Well. Thanks. Anything you want to say in the end? Penis. And <laughs> 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 uh, that's going to be a finishing word. Yeah, thank sweet. you so much. Cool. Thank you very much. I appreciate thank you. you. Keep doing what you're doing, girl. You're doing good. No, appreciate that was, you. That was really fun.